welcome back to the Women Respecters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Adrian Harrison, and unfortunately, Wiley and Kay couldn't join us today, so to fill in for their spots, we brought in some return guests in Spin and Shamari. How are you guys doing? What's going on? What's up, man? How y'all doing? You know, we're making it. Just trying to get this podcast taken care of, recording pretty late, but that's all good. Um, The first topic of the day I want to discuss is... I saw this weird and interesting stat on um, NBA Reddit called the SRS stat, talking about the hardest and easiest championship runs in NBA history. Uh, y'all can go look it up on Reddit. It's just just look up what were the hardest and easiest championships. You'll find it. You'll see the Reddit post. I believe his name's like Bar Vader or something like that. So you'll be able to see it over there. And apparently through the post, it goes based off of the amount of like the teams you want like 50 plus win teams, the margin of victory, how many points you beat them by and like the strength of the schedule and everything like that. That's basically how they measure everything. So it's just raw numbers. And since everybody's been talking about how the Lakers this year have won the easiest pass to the finals, I just thought we should start off like that. And I'm just going to pass it on to the Lakers fan right now. And how do you feel about everyone saying that this was the easiest path to the finals? Um, Bunch of BS, mainly because, you know, with the whole COVID situation going on worldwide, you know, a lot of people's judgments are clouded, thinking that the bubble is something that the players didn't take as serious. Um, If anything, I think it's probably the opposite from a mental aspect. You know, players have to be away from their families for three months, three plus months or whatever. And they pretty much have to solely focus on basketball. Um, let wins and losses kind of sit in a lot more than normal. Um, everybody, for the most part, um, had all of their main talent. I understand that there were injuries, which definitely played a part in the Lakers' run. Um, but I definitely don't think it was easy. I just think that when the Lakers had everything rolling, they made it look easy but I don't think it was an easy run per se. I watched every game and they struggled a lot during certain periods. It's just that them going, what, 16 and five doesn't make it look like they struggle. Again, I can understand where you're going based off of that. Cause I, I agree with that because everything with taking a what, three month break and everything, and then coming back and trying to work your way back into shape, everything going on with the social justice. And there's just so like you, like you said, you're away from family, away from everything. You just focus solely on basketball. And you saw some players like, like Paul George, for example, he came out and was open about how it was a struggle to just do something like that. Um, I believe Danny Green said it was a struggle as well because he talked about the mental aspect of it. And I just think we should command like LeBron for being able to keep his team as the captain to keep his team together and focus on the championship with everything going on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but numbers wise, it does numbers. wise. I know numbers don't say everything. Numbers don't tell the whole story. Everybody, that, anybody that can watch a game knows that analytics isn't the whole part of the game, but analytics does say that, in NBA in the past, what thirty three years, 
because that's ever since they had the you know the sixteen you know playoff system, sixteen team playoff system, that the Lakers did have the third easiest in NBA history. And going based off going off of that, the Rockets, the 1995 Rockets had the hardest. But um, something we were discussing before we actually started recording was Kobe and Shaq's three-peat are three of the top five most difficult championships in championship runs in NBA history. Does that, does that tell you guys anything? Like, does that like boost them above like using a stat like that? Does that make y'all like bring something into context? Like, well, maybe, you know, they say not all championships are are equal. Does that like make y'all think, huh? Does that boost Kobe's championships above somebody like a Jordan or LeBron's when you look at it like that? The thing is, is like the West was just as strong back then as it is today, if not more. Um, I think if you go back and look at team records, you had probably more 51 teams than you do now. I could be wrong, but talent-wise, it was stacked top to bottom. Um, but, I mean, the Lakers went 15-1 and in 2001, and that wasn't necessarily an easy championship. Um, nope. Lost the numbers. It's the second hardest yeah, in NBA so, history. But they pretty much did a clean sweep until Allen Iverson had to drop a 40-piece on him in game one. So... You know, when you look at it on on the surface, it might seem like it was quick and simple, but it wasn't. And that's kind of what I was getting at with people talking about this Lakers championship being the easiest. I don't I don't think like like when people talk about the bubble, like that shouldn't even be used as a detriment to them because everyone was in the bubble. So it's not like it plays to anyone's advantage. But in terms of like saying it's the easiest, I don't necessarily think they played bad. Like, they played really good teams. I just think that when it comes down to it, having Anthony Davis and LeBron James, like, that's that's just a really tough deal to stop. Like, they played, they played like the Blazers were on fire coming into the playoffs, and they won the first game, and they, like, they made adjustments, and they, they I mean, they pretty much wiped them up, and they made it look like, you know, the Blazers weren't that good, but Blazers go against anyone else. I think they give them a long series. And then, like the Rockets, the Rockets are pretty tough to stop. But I mean, they had they had someone to neutralize. That I mean, eighty would just kill like their small lineups. And with the Nuggets, they were one of the teams where their offense was was cra- was going crazy because you had Jamal Murray who emerged in the playoffs, and Jokic who's already a superstar, and they just are so deep with like Michael Porter Jr., Gary Harris, like all those guys. And then the Heat was. The Heat, I mean, they fought like they. Jimmy Butler was Jimmy Butler was giving it all he could, and uh, they didn't have they didn't have Drazic for most of it. But I mean, once he came back, he was still kind of injured and bam. But like that, that's a really well coached team, so they they took it to six. But I don't I don't think like people should think like it's one of the easiest. I think just I would look at it as the, maybe the Lakers were one of the better teams. To, I mean, they were just the best team. I wouldn't really say that they had an easy path, per se. I think some of the injuries to some of the bigger teams, like the Warriors and and possibly the Nets and stuff, like that that could have impacted the playoffs. But I think, like, I think the best team won the uh, the championship. Yeah, yeah. I do the finals. Yeah. I do also think that people fault the Lakers 
for not meeting the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals when the Clippers just didn't get the job done. Um, they had three chances mm-hmm. to finish that series against the Nuggets, and while the Nuggets were resilient, they were up, I think, almost 20 points in the third quarter in game five, and they just didn't finish the, the job. Um, so uh, people that already don't like the Lakers or don't like LeBron are going to find every excuse possible to make it seem like this was just destined to happen and – Lakers got lucky, but they still have to go out there and play. I think like I think it would have been a really good matchup, but like like you said, like they they didn't win, so they didn't deserve to be there. And like they had some fatal flaws where they they would just go through spurts where the offense was terrible because they didn't really have somebody running in. PG wasn't good, and and Doc Rivers, everyone says like he he didn't make no adjustment, so. It's the usual thing, and so I don't know. Like, it would have been nice to see it, but I don't think, like, I mean, the Nuggets did beat them, so it's not like you can just say, like, the Clippers would have beat them because the way the Clippers were playing, I don't think that they would have beaten the Lakers. It would have been a good series, but. Especially with how their bigs were. Their Montrez was playing awful. Zubak was their best big out there. At least analytics pointed to Zubak being the best big out there. Uh, Paul George was struggling, of course, but Kawhi, Kawhi was doing his thing, but it's still like they got AD. At the end of the day, they got the two. They got the two best players in that series. I know Kawhi's there, but I'm taking AD with how AD's been playing. And when AD's not in his right mind, I'm taking AD as a top three player in the NBA. But he, when he has his mindset on it, yeah. But so like, what were you saying? No, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was one of those people before the season where I thought the Clippers, not their starting lineup was better, but I thought their depth would push them over. But, like, they're, a lot of their role players stunk in the playoffs, like Lou Williams and, and Montrezl Harrell, like you said, Shemet. So, without them, like, without the depth, they they were definitely not going to beat the Lakers if their role players weren't contributing a lot. Like, if they're starting five, the Lakers definitely would have beat them. But they would have been. It would have been other people having to chip in to beat them. So, as they were playing and constructed, they weren't better in the playoffs. So. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, like Shamari said, like people trying to fault them for not meeting the Clippers, but it's not. It's not the Lakers' fault that the Clippers didn't get yeah. it done. Like they they had they had all those chances to, and they didn't. So the fact that they didn't get the job done and the Lakers did. I don't see how that can be a knock on them. It's just more of a just hate. People that don't like LeBron, people that don't like the Lakers, they're just not going to like them. No matter what you say, they're just going to twist the narrative to make it look bad on them, regardless of what happens. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's where I wanted to go there, but we can take a short break real quick, and then we're going to get into the next topic.
All right, and we're back. And the next topic we, I want to jump into, I wanted to jump into the hot takes on social media, but I kind of want to save that for the end. So what we want to jump in right now is I want to jump into the draft because the draft's coming up. Everybody's excited for it. Um, I don't know. I know Shamari's still excited for it, even though his team's not having a top pick. I know me and Spin are really looking forward to it our team to see what we're going to go with, especially with my team having three first-round picks. And Spin, I believe y'all had the ninth pick, correct? Yeah, the same as last year. Yeah. And um, where do you where do you want your team to go with that ninth pick? Um, are you looking? I think it's a lot of directions we can go because it's it should be like this draft is looking, from what I see, it's, it's pretty deep and it's a lot of people, especially in the lottery. But I, I don't know how it's going to fall. And like obviously – the the person I would want us to get most is is uh, Onyeka Okongwu from USC just because he's he's a great run protector. He can he can score. He can knock down shots. Like he can do a little bit of everything. But um, another person that I've grown to um, like that I see a lot of people have mocked to us is Vassal from Florida State just because he's athletic and. Anybody that's athletic and can shoot, even though his shot looks kind of weird, and he can defend, like, I, I, I would want somebody like that. Um, Okoro, definitely I would want him because he's a, he's known to be a really good defender, and he can score. But And also, uh, it's somebody that's going later, but I've also looked at this Nesmith dude from uh, Vanderbilt just because He's just a flat-out shooter, and that's something we kind of lack. Like, we have Bill, who can, who's streaky, but he's more of a shot creator. And if we just have somebody on the wings that could just straight-up shoot, it would help a lot with Wall coming back and, and Bill, who likes to slash a lot. And we don't really yeah. have a lot of great shooters outside of Bertans on that team. If Bertans comes back. But didn't, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Nesmith go down with an injury? Um, he's coming back for one of those? Yeah, but the way it goes now, like, if it's nothing major, they won't knock him too much. Like, I still see a lot of mock drafts having him. Some of them going in the uh, in the lottery still. Yeah, the er- the highest I've seen him so far is around, like, 18. But um, I haven't looked at too many. I've been listening to a lot of po- other podcasts lately um just to get a better picture of the draft because I didn't watch as much college ball as I would have liked to but um the one thing that interested me the last mock draft I saw didn't have either Wiseman, LaMelo or Anthony Edwards going first they had Denny going first cuz they said that there's no clear cut for the number ones they had him going first they said he'd be a good fit for the T-Wolves because they, I think they compared him to like Danny Granger and Hito Turkloo for his scoring ability and his wingspan. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering how you, what you thought about that, Shamar. I know you pay attention to the draft. Uh, well, with all due respect to Hito Turkoglu, that's not someone I would draft at number one. Um, I understand <laughs> all teams have their needs uh, and fits, schemes, all that. Um, but when it comes to Danny, just like any other highly touted European prospect, there's a lot more risk involved because, you know, the game revolves around perimeter shooting, but it also revolves around defending. And typically European prospects lack on the latter part. But, you know, ever since 
the likes of Christoph Porzingis, Luca, you know, GMs are a lot more interested in tall shooters that are young from overseas, which I can understand. That's the game today. But um, as far as talent is concerned, I think the clear cut number one is Anthony Edwards. So if you're going, if the if the Timberwolves keep that pick, and they're going for best overall talent, Anthony Edwards makes the most sense, and it fits because they don't really have a dominant two guard. Like I understand they have D'Angelo Russell, but at the moment he's running a one. So Anthony Edwards for me has the highest ceiling and floor compared to all the other prospects coming out. Um, I think LaMelo Ball has the highest ceiling overall just because he's a six seven point guard and his shooting should improve. And one can hope that he'll get better at defense. Um, but I think you are right where there is no clear-cut number one pick. But talent-wise, it's Anthony Edwards to me. Yeah, I can see. I, I still feel like Anthony Edwards is a good fit for them too. Because you still get that um, versatile guard right there, two guard that can defend, still score and do everything like that. I know a lot of people are saying he's a bigger Victor Oladipo, and like I'm like I feel like that's something the T Wolves could use because you know the T Wolves are not a good defensive team, especially with D'Lo and um, Cat being there. So I feel like that's something they could use. But I've seen a lot of things saying that the T Wolves and Warriors are both looking to trade back. Trade like trade back later in the draft and just try to add another piece to their team because they're trying to be obviously the Warriors are in win now mode, but the T Wolves are trying to get to win now mode as well. Now that they have both D'Lo and Cat, obviously, but I just kind of wonder how that's going to look for the T Wolves, who they could be targeting to try to get into win now mode. I'm not sure about that one, but um. Yeah, I want to. I have high hopes for Lamelo. Uh, I've seen a lot of drafts have him fall out of the top five, and actually all the way to like eight or nine, just because of the you know, like we're talking, like you were saying earlier, just the fits. Like a lot of teams, like you see, T Wolves, they have D'Lo at point guard. The Warriors obviously have Steph and Clay back there. The Hornets already signed Terry Rozier to that big contract, and they have Devonte Graham who played well. Yeah. The Bulls, Zach Levine, and um, Kobe White. The Cavs already have too many guards. Hawks, Trey Young. Um, so you start naming out all those teams. You're like, where does he really fit? What team really needs a point guard like that? And do you just draft the best overall player and be like, he's probably going to end up better than, you know, like Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier or Kobe White or Chris Dunn or whoever you have there? Do you draft just for that or you go for fit and just like just watch LaMelo drop all the way down to eight, nine or wherever he drops? How far do you actually see him dropping? Um, well, I know you were just reading off the different teams. So, OK, I can see Minnesota not taking him. I can see Golden State not taking him. Charlotte, I understand they have Terry Rozier, but it's not like a huge contract. It's not like a super long contract. I think. You know, MJ would definitely love to fill the seats with someone like LaMelo. And then on top of that, you have high potential. So I could see him going to Charlotte. Chicago could definitely use him. Cleveland, no, because Colin Sexton and um, I forgot his name. Garland, Garland. There we go. Um, Detroit needs a point guard. New York needs a point guard. I could see the Knicks 
as the highest likely chance for LaMelo to get drafted. The Knicks will I, I would hate to see him with the Knicks because their ownership is horrendous. Um, their front yeah, but I've seen a lot of reports saying that the, they're trying to get either Russell Westbrook or Chris no, I get Paul. That. If they make one of those deals go down, yeah, like I don't see them still trying to find a room for LaMelo unless they're still just trying to sell season. They just move him to the yeah, team. I'm just speaking from the perspective of teams not making any big moves before the draft, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Washington, not going to draft him. Phoenix, possibly. But again, that's, that's I don't know. Ten. I wouldn't I wouldn't rule us out just because Wall only has a couple of years left and our point guards on the bench. I mean, with Ish Smith and stuff, they've been solid, but like we never have addressed getting a young point guard yeah. for the future. But the only reason why I count y'all out is because John Wall's healthy. So John Wall's out there, Bradley Bill's out there. That team should be focused on getting to the playoffs. And you do that by adding pieces that y'all need, yeah, and that can be out there right away. So, yeah, I, I could see Melo falling draft is weird, though. but I think some, I think someone between Charlotte, Chicago, Detroit picks him. So. Yeah, we're gonna have to see because I know. Um, a lot of things with Detroit been looking at um Killian Hayes and everything, and I know a lot, everybody's saying like Lamelo is a nice name, but there's other point guards who could fit over him. I've been seeing a lot of things about Halliburton. They're like, yeah, Lamelo might be the big name, and Lamelo might have the highest, like a higher ceiling. But they were saying Halliburton has a higher floor. And he could be the safer pick because he could, like, the worst he could turn into would be like a DeJounte Murray. That's what, for at least reports I've seen, that's what they said. Like, that's the worst he could turn into. So he might be the safer pick. That's a really good player. That's a, yeah. But I mean, cool. we've all seen LaMelo's tape. And while his efficiency is in question and defense as well, he does, he isn't a lazy defender. And he's just really smart on the court. Like, his IQ is really high. And he uses his size on the court to his advantage. So, I think, because if you look at his brother Lonzo, while he struggles with shooting percentage, you know, even from the free throw line, this is a guy that can average a triple-double with only putting up 10 points. I mean, his Mm -hmm. rookie year with the Lakers, he shot like 35% from the field, but he averaged 10, 7, and 7. And that was with like 31 minutes a game. So LaMelo has a very similar game outside of the defense. In terms of production, I don't see how you pass up on LaMelo if you're looking to get better on offense. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't want to see LaMelo fall into a bad situation to where – he doesn't get developed properly, and then he gets labeled a bust because he wasn't able to properly develop. Because I feel like that happens to a lot of draft prospects yeah. to where they, they don't end up in the right position, and then they don't get developed, and then they're in year Man, three, year NBA four. coaches, a lot of them just don't. The, the front office is cool with it, but like a lot of coaches don't be trying to play rookies depending on where you, wherever you go. 
Exactly. So then the players players don't develop. So so they just sit there and they sit in the background and eventually, especially a young player like that, uh, it weighs on their like psyche. And then when they do get in the game, you know, they're they're nervous and they 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 make mistakes they normally shouldn't because they try to overcompensate and stuff. Like because yeah, they gotta try to play good, want that little bit of chance to get to be on the floor. Yeah, they're like, okay, I'm only I know I'm only gonna get in for like three minutes here, three minutes there. So in that three minutes, I need to get as many shots, especially if they're a score. Then like, I need to get as many shots as, as possible and be looking for my shot. And they might not be taking the best shots, or they could have made the extra pass or something like that. Because they're so worried about their inconsistency with minutes because they don't know when they're going to get minutes again. So they're like, I need to do as much as I can out there. And sometimes that messes them up. So mm-hmm. that's how I feel. Like. I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel like every player is a bust. I, I don't label a lot of people a bust. The only way I can label you a bust is if you actually got an opportunity and you didn't capitalize on your opportunity. Like somebody like Anthony Bennett, I can say was a bust because the Cavaliers gave him countless opportunities. And I think it was like three or four straight games. He went without even making a shot. He was like over 28. (laughs) And it's like, so if you're like over 28, they're giving you shots. You're just breaking every shot and they're giving you minutes and you're just missing that. I can label you a bust. Like, but if you don't, if you get put in a situation like, Hashim to beat a lot of people say a bust. I wouldn't really call him a bust because he. I feel like he got drafted into a bad situation. He was newer to basketball. He was a good shot blocker, but that's about it. He fouled a lot, but he went to a Memphis team that already had Marcus Gasol and Zach Randolph, and they already had good bigs, so he wasn't going to get proper minutes. Or somebody like Mo Bamba, somebody that you see they already have Vucevic and everything. He's not going to get minutes, so he's not able to actually develop how he should because there's somebody ahead of him taking away his minutes. And I don't, and then teams don't send you to the G league. Cause they still want you to be on the team and you just play backup minutes and you're not really getting any development at all. Yeah. Well, Mon Baba is still around. So, I mean, um, he's only 22, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. That, I'm just, saying, but I see yeah. the beef. Yeah, I'm just, Sorry to break it to you, bro. <laughs> he was a bust. <laughs> now, I wouldn't know. I'm saying, I wouldn't say he's a bust because he was. I'm saying because he wasn't properly developed. That's what I'm saying. Like he he might have still not had the best NBA career, but I don't want to use that bust label because. Well, he was what I mean, second, pick, second third pick. pick. Yeah, he and was he a second pick. Three years at UConn, the development didn't need to yeah. be there as like a raw prospect coming straight from Africa. But he was he was still not he was still newer to the game. Yeah, remember? but so was Joel Embiid, and college helped him tremendously. Mm-hmm. He was he was literally just really tall, but like like he wasn't that strong. So players, he's great to shot right at. Um, yeah. Could finish above the rim because he was seven three, but pretty much five feet away from the basket, wasn't doing anything at all, offensively or yeah. defensively. I understand what you're saying. Memphis wasn't the right situation for him, but I don't think his ceiling was very high. I mean, I'm not saying it was very high, but I think he still could have been a solid NBA center if he was in the right situation. And that was when it was more slowed down. Like, in today's game, he definitely would have been useful. Oh, yeah. Today's game, he would have been food. But back then, when bigs were, like, legit bigs, and he didn't have to worry about chasing guards around, I think he could have still been, like, competent. He could have been a solid. He would have just been a shot blocker. That's about it. Because he wasn't a great rebounder. He wasn't really, like... A great score. I mean, he was but, more like open dunks or layups. And stuff. He could get better at that. That's what I'm saying. He could. We, we, he could have been a solid, just 
you know, double double kind of guy. Like you know, ten and ten got a guy with averaging like two three blocks a game, and I would have considered that like competent instead of just being out of the league and not really yeah. doing anything. Them super tall dudes usually just have bad injury risk and stuff too. And they're not mobile. Most like, of them are not mobile and agile, yeah. and that's what he was. Yeah, he was slow as hell. Yeah, that is true. You but, just um, like him because he uh, he reminded you of uh, your favorite center, Rudy Gobert. <laughs> no, <Hakeem> <laughs> uh, nah, absolutely not. Absolutely not, man. I'm really hoping that the cell. I keep seeing like the rumors. I know Spence said he that he wants the Wizards to go for Onyeka, but I want. I've been seeing a lot of rumors. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all depending on what the team wants. Because nobody knows what the teams are thinking about right now. Like you look at any of the mock drafts, any you look at three. Like it's really hard. Like it's really hard to predict the NBA draft because they can just fall all over somebody that you have no idea. They just go in there, bring them in for one workout. It wouldn't even surprise me because like you never know. I mean, yeah, he had a good workout, and the teams were like, "Yeah, we want like him. NBA draft." And I believe their GM a really interesting mock draft. Like they have Anthony Edwards going number one, and then Lamelo Ball going number two to Golden State, and then James Wiseman to Charlotte. They got the yeah. Wizards drafting Russell, and they have the Celtics drafting Jalen Smith from Maryland, which I think is a good. Yeah, yeah, Jalen Smith was actually really good in Maryland. That LaMelo to the Golden State pick, I'm not, like, too against it, though. Because with Steph being, you know, at his current age, age of, like, 32-33, I think bringing LaMelo in and just have him playing that, you know, the Warriors like small ball lineup anyway, and just sliding Clay to guard in the small forward and just having LaMelo as shooting guard, I think that could be amazing for spacing and then moving the ball it would I don't depend know, on like, how much they think Wiseman is NBA ready and if he can come in and hit shots like because yeah. that would clearly be a better pick, but if they yeah. don't think he's ready to come in and contribute right away and they're not trying yeah. to wait on that. Wiseman is a really good I'm player. just saying for the modern game. Yeah, I know Wiseman is Wiseman is good. He he looks real good, but I'm just saying I can see where the Lamelo like fascination could be with that small ball, and then him learning from Steph, and then eventually taking over the Warriors looking for the future, and him eventually taking over for Steph and being the guy, and then like down the road, if he was like down with that kind of reduced role for the first couple years of his career, taking a step back, and then eventually. You know, jumping. I feel like he wouldn't have much pressure there. He'd just be like, you know, just has to catch and shoot, move the ball around when he needs to, and then he'll be good. He would get so many open buckets too off of pick and roll because, like, Steph is just going to get you wide open on rolls because people going to try to trap him at the top or something. Yeah, because of his gravity. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I can see, I can see the fascination. And with he would be a shot blocker, which is what one of the things that they were missing on. But uh, I don't know. I still need the Celtics to use those three first round picks and try to trade up like they've been saying they won't. I need Danny Ainge to make a move and stop being cowardly. Cause yeah, because y'all like drafting like Romeo Langford, who's a talent, but he don't even play for y'all. And it's like, yeah, he's just been in the G League. I mean, hey, 
Romeo Langford did come in with a wrist injury. I remember when we drafted him, I was pretty excited because I was like, okay, he's a really good shooter. We need more shooters. But he was coming back from a wrist injury. He, you know, he had the rehab. He missed the the beginning of the season. And then he got hurt again, had the rehab again. He got hurt like two or three times. There were minor injuries, nothing major. But he kept getting hurt throughout the season. And with the Celtics having so many guards already, he was it just it wasn't realistic for him to be able to get minutes. So he was just gonna be spending most of his time in the G League regardless. Yeah. I don't I'm, so that's, I, I'm I, excited I, for the Lakers. I like the pick. Oh, what pick do you have? This draft is really <laughs> deep. Like Yeah. Like these are just some names that they have projected to go in the second round. Like um Emmanuel Quickly from Kentucky, Isaiah Stewart from Washington, Cassius Stanley from Duke. Cassius Winston. Hey, Cassius. And the only reason why he's looked at as a second rounder is because he spent four years in college. Because he's a monster. Um, Ashton Hagen's from Kentucky. Uh, Grant Riller, who I think you a little video on. Um, Cassius Winston, that's the Michigan State point guard. Cassius Winston, Michigan State point guard. Uh, Marcus Howard, straight bucket from Marquette. Like, these are all second rounders. Oh, that's the dude who averaged 40. Marcus Howard, like... Yeah, I've seen him because he used to cook Georgetown. Yeah, and then, speaking of Georgetown, uh, Omer, you're at seven, the center from Georgetown. Yeah, the tall dude, yeah. He's in the draft. Um, so there's a lot of talent, and there might be a lot of hidden gems in that second round. So I think the draft is going to be really important this year if the, if the cap is supposed to be going down, too. Well, Especially... Uh, that's all the rumors saying it's going to go down just because of what's going on. Yeah, it's because they made a lot less money. I don't know if it's going to go down a lot, but those cheap contracts, if you can get a good player on them, that's, that's very valuable. Absolutely. That's why y'all need to go ahead and trade Wall and then just use that pick to draft a point. Man, that we can't trade Wall. <laughs> <laughs> the Knicks would... There, there, there are teams that are like you know salary dump teams that are willing to just take on cap because they're still tanking like See, somebody like the Knicks. That's like but, that's like uh like they keep saying like the Warriors are trying to trade the number two pick which is cool but then they're talking about they want to trade Wiggins with, and it's like nobody is going to take that contract unless it's well like that's why they have the patch is the number two pick with it because nobody's going to want just Wiggins yeah. so they're like. We'll give you Wiggins and the pick, and then that will be like, okay, okay, all right, we'll take Wiggins off you for the pick, which makes sense. It's just unless a he went dump. to like a really awful team that had a bunch of cap space. Yeah, which is what it's gonna be. It's gonna be a salary dump. So, but yeah, um, let's Dang, take another. RJ Hampton, the twenty fifth pick. Oh yeah, RJ Hampton fell back late too. RJ Hampton, um, and I saw uh, Tyrese Maxey fell back all the way late. I've seen Tyrese Maxey. Really? I've seen him all the way. Like I've seen him go up to like early as fifteen, sixteen. I've seen even some of them people say like the Celtics in fourteen just to have a backup point yeah. guard so Marcus Smart could go to two guard. But then I've also seen him go all the way to the second round. So I don't know. And Cole Anthony's there. Um, late yeah, I forgot about Cole Anthony. But he didn't he struggle? He, he struggled this year scoring the ball. But UNC was really bad. Yeah. And he averaged like 19 a game. So. Yeah, I saw some, I saw one report said he was um, going to be a Jared Bayless. <laughs> That's terrible. 
Yeah, I was like, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> you that's kind of crazy. You know what's interesting to me? What do you think the Hawks should get with the sixth pick? Undefined. Because the Hawks um, are a young player than everybody. Uh, I think they need to get a, a center. I, I don't I don't know about... I don't know. Capella, though. Yeah, I know they got Capella, but I yeah, I but they already have John Collins there. Yeah, they have John Collins like there. They have Cam Reddish there. They have um, Kevin Herter. DeAndre they have Hunter. a yeah. They have DeAndre. They have a lot. The Hawks are really really good. For but you. there's a plus side to that because sometimes the young talent on your team might have hit a wall. And they're still valuable in the market, so you can move them around for other pieces. Um, so I think you continue yeah, to get defenders too. because that could be a team. They defender. were looking to trade to get a veteran yeah. with the sixth pick. I don't know. Ooh, but. I get Ob if he's available because he's a shooter and an athletic four. Mm-hmm. I saw one say they wanted that it was going to be looking at Isaac Okoro. So. Just for the um, defense and everything, because I know that that is what the Hawks need. The Hawks do need a lot of defense to set around Trey Young, since Trey Young is never going to be that. They need a, never going to be that like lockdown defender, because he because you know Steph got better as his you know career went on, and he became a good help defender playing the passing lanes and stuff. But Trey Young is so much smaller than Steph. Like they're both unathletic, they're similar, but. They're going to have to build build pretty much a defense where everyone else can at least play defense a little bit. Mm -hmm. So they can hide that, man, because it's not going to be the same. Kind of like what the Celtics did with Isaiah Thomas, too. Yeah, because, yeah, we had had a lot of defenders that year. And it was basically Isaiah Thomas score all the points. Everybody else plays defense. It was beautiful. (laughs) It was good. Absolutely. I don't want to talk about it, man. Spin still has nightmares about that. Them bombs. Losing to Kelly Owen making game seven. <laughs> hey, the GOAT. But yeah, like I we need to take a short break because we've been going on for a little bit. Um this is probably gonna be our last break of the podcast, but we'll take the short break real quick. Okay, and we're back, and this is the part that was just completely, just kind of crazy. I talk about the hot takes on social media for sports a lot, and they always get wilder and wilder. And I don't, I don't know. Um, since we're since we're talking about the draft, let's start with the draft, the wild draft picks, like uh, draft topics first. The first one is saying LaMelo Ball isn't even worth a lottery pick. Hey. Yeah, that's bogus as hell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, he's so just I can see him falling a little bit, but I would be shocked if he fell out of the lottery. Is out. first 14 picks. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Man, that's just, I, 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 don't, I don't know, especially with the Knicks having the eighth pick. Like, you know, I just don't. They, they're not saying he won't get drafted in the. In the um, top fourteen. They saying he's not even worth it, which is kind of crazy to me. 
Yeah, just show like somebody has hate in their heart. I mean, that's been yeah. a guy that has been considered a top three to five draft pick for over a year or two. Shit, because he was yeah, in high so school. Yeah, like he's there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another one that people talk about is um, Kara Luz. Kara Lewis, the um, junior, how that they should be a lottery pick, and that they're being slept on. I think being a junior is the best. That's what, that's what yeah. hurts you a lot because a lot of the people, either freshman or sophomore, is the earlier pick. Yeah, he put up good numbers, but he's a bit undersized as a scoring guard, and like Spence said, he is more of an upperclassman, but. He may very well turn out to be one of the best players in the draft. It all depends on where he lands and how he develops. And then another one says, Onyeka is better than Toppin. And I don't see why. Um, I see that they, they, I think they bring different things to the table. Yeah, they're two different types of players, and it depends on what your team needs. Yeah, I think it goes based off team um, needs, but this person said it's just clear cut on Yaka just years ahead of um, Obi. I mean... And I wouldn't go as far to say that. No, I mean, that dude was the national player of the year. So, he's very productive, and he still has a lot of upside because he's pretty athletic, and he has a... He can do a lot with his game. Yeah. On Yaka's athletic, high-energy player... Um, better defensively for sure, and a stronger build. But as far as the game today, I think Obi has potential to be more impactful right away. But I do believe long term, Onyeka is going to be more serviceable. Yeah, I also think it just fall, depends on where they fall. If Onyeka falls to someone like how I want him to the Celtics and everything, then I feel like he'll have a good role just being able to be a high energy, just focus on defense, not have to worry about scoring and everything. And also the same thing with Obi. If he finds into a good position to where he just, he can just play within the flow of the game and not have to be like somewhere like New York where there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. Like they have all right, Kevin Knox to where they're expecting him to do a lot right away. So if he, I think it also just depends on the fit, like where where they fall, just to see who's gonna have the um, better rookie season. The last one of the draft is um, Daniel Otoro is gonna be a twelve and seven guy minimum. <laughs> is this like a Twitter thing or something? Minimum. Um. Yeah, minimum. I'm telling you, this is just. Uh, I was searching through social media. I go to trending. That's all I do, and then I just look at the the stuff that be trending, and there'll be a lot of hot I mean, topics. He was a twenty and ten guy this past season at Minnesota. It's not a small school; it's a power conference school. Minnesota always seems to put out like some yeah, big men. productive, yeah, big definitely. Yeah. But I mean, to say twelve and seven minimum, I mean, that means you, he would be having to go to somewhere where he plays. A yeah, lot. if you have a skilled big man serviceable big man that goes to any team that doesn't have like ridiculous weapons on the perimeter and plays 30 minutes a game, then yeah, 12 and seven is easy for a big man. 
But he's projected to go late in the draft, yeah. though. I mean, so he's, he's going to probably going to a better team. Yeah. So, yeah, but, so that's what I'm saying. Where his touches and everything going, just to say 12 and 10 is his rookie year. That's going to, that's why I was like, that's why I put that one on there. Cause I'm like, okay, he wasn't, if he was projected in the lottery, I'd be like, okay, yeah, I can see it more. But having him projected so late, I even saw one said that um, he was projected to the Lakers. So if he goes somewhere like that, it'll be kind of tougher for him to get something like yeah. that. I mean, 12 and 7 is kind of like, that's not easy to get even for an early pick. So if he's a later pick, that I'd definitely, unless he goes somewhere where like somebody gets hurt and he's starting a lot. And I don't know. I don't see that happening right away. Yeah. Um. Let's move on to the other topic. One, Mono Ginobili was better than Allen Iverson. <laughs> Yo, you got to stop listening to 18-year-olds on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And literally, hey. the only thing they're going to say is that he had rings. And, like, this dude, we're talking about, we're comparing, like, one of the best pound-for-pound players ever to, I mean, he was great, but he was a six-man. I mean, he could have started, but he was ultimately a six-man on that team. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people say if Ginobili went to another team, he could have been a star on his own team. Well, no. Also, you don't know if the Spurs also the Spurs system helped them too. For sure. But. And I can't even say that Ginobili was any more skilled than Iverson at any aspect of the game. Like people look at him being, you know, um, an international player with a lot of European pedigree, even though he's from Argentina. Um, yeah, with the footwork and the passing, a lot of people that. give him credit. They just. No, bro. Allen Iverson was, you know, T-Mac in a 6'1 body. Six feet, six foot <laughs> body, basically. You know? And his numbers speak for themselves in his prime. MVP gave the one loss to those Lakers in 2001. Um, and even though he wasn't a great on-ball defender, he was able to average shoot like three steals a game, you know, those years where he led the league in steals. So it's just, nah. Um, the next one I feel is going to be a little controversial. It says Walt Frazier was better than Isaiah Thomas. Zeke? Yes. I mean, I, I didn't really watch too much of Walt Frazier, but he was highly regarded. But, I mean, I hear people say, people say, a lot of people have Isaiah Thomas as like a top 10 point guard. They have him as like oh, top yeah, three. Top 10, guard. top five. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people put Isaiah Thomas really out. No, but I'm saying everyone consensus probably has Isaiah top 10 in the league. Yeah, I think if you ask everyone yeah, that Isaiah watched both, they're not putting Walt above Zeke. Well, the dude's argument was saying, like, um, who Walt played with. They said they're both two-time um, champions and everything, but they were talking about the defensive end of what Walt Frazier brought more than Isaiah Thomas. Because, you know, he's like a seven-time all-defensive player where, you know... I mean, Isaiah but you're looking at his up. strength versus Isaiah's weakness, but then not noticing how how much Isaiah did on offense probably a lot better than Walt Frazier. Yeah, I mean, Isaiah Thomas, whenever he was playing... I, well, I like the thing. Like, Isaiah Thomas at his best versus Walt Frazier at his best. I'm taking Isaiah yeah. Thomas. But um, Walt Frazier did have... Some good year. Like, Walt Frazier still averaged, you know, like 19, 6, and 6. And, like I said, two-time champion and everything like that. But 
I still just don't see him at his best. He was never Isaiah Thomas because he's never he was never the passer Isaiah Thomas was either at, at the point guard position. He never even averaged over um like eight assists a game. Yeah. So in Isaiah Thomas averaged for his career nine assists a game, and Walt Frazier never had a season of over eight assists a game. So I just don't see how, as a point guard, Isaiah Thomas was scoring more. He was assisting more. He was, yeah, he was better. He was a better shooter and everything. It's just that Walt Frazier was a much better defender that they said that Walt Frazier should be over Isaiah Thomas. I'm not sure what they're looking. I'm guessing it's just something that they were looking at themselves because I didn't ask the person. I didn't reply to the person asking exactly why. I feel like I should have because he said that's just how he felt. Y'all remember? I mean, everyone's entitled to. Go ahead, sorry. No, no, I'm just gonna say everyone's entitled to their opinion. But some people try to pick, like you know, an unpopular take and try to, you know, give their reasons why. And they just run yeah. with it. And I don't understand it. Sometimes this this next one um, was just kind of wild. They said Carmelo Anthony is overrated and is not even a top 25 scorer in NBA history. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's all he had to say that that was okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even the biggest fan, but him and his prime, like, what could he not do on offense? He could. There's no one that could stop him from getting a shot he wanted. Mm-hmm. And like when but, he was dunking and all that shit, like there's yeah, literally nothing he couldn't do on offense. Yeah, there, there, really, there really wasn't. It's like he could, he could catch you on the block. He could post you up there. He could catch you at the elbow and ISO there. He could shoot the three. He could, so he could catch and shoot, post you up, take you off the dribble. Was quick enough. Too quick for and like them was, to put power yeah, forwards in the center. His size too gave him an advantage. Yeah, so he was really yeah, quick for his size. Yeah, so so he's too big for like guards or some small forwards to guard him, and then those bigger small forwards and what's called bigs, he's too quick for them because he yeah. he was athletic and he was really so, good at hitting contested shots and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, just, he had to complete all like games starting from yeah, his first year in the league. Spot. He averaged. 20 points a game or more for 14 straight years. How is that not one of the best yeah. scores? That's nuts, bro. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, no, like at least 20. Yeah, they say he's not. He came into the league they say rookie he's year, he averaged 21. And he should have won rookie of the year, by the way, but we're not going to discuss that. And he yeah. averaged no less than 20 for 14 straight years. Most years he was averaging 28, 26, 25. Yeah, but I know a lot there. They talk about a lot of great scores. They get into that 30 plus point per game score. And Carmelo never broke that. He never averaged 30 a game. But his career any, averages his, even his prime. almost 24. You look at Michael yeah. Jordan, but I'm just saying, and Will Chamberlain, who are tied for number one, they're 30, right? So even though it's a six yeah. point difference, which is a lot for career averages, that's rid- ridiculously impressive. I mean, yeah, 30 uh, is not even – that's very hard to get. I mean, it's not like he, he wasn't possible. It wasn't possible he couldn't get it. Like, he definitely yeah, he averaged 29. He was on teams like the Nuggets where he – the Nuggets offense, they had a lot of scores, like other people that could score there too. So it wasn't like he had to try to do too much. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and it's crazy because that year he averaged 29. That was still early in his career before, you know, the three-point line was still breaking off. So he was still shooting mainly mid-ranges, and he only averaged like two threes a game. And he was still just – That year he only shot 27% from three. Yeah, because he wasn't really shooting. Yeah, he shot a low percentage from three, but he still wasn't shooting threes. He shot – like I said, he shot two a game. He wasn't really – looking for the three ball because that mid-range was still so deadly because that's what people were shooting. And you notice he got better over time with his three-point percentage. But Carmelo was never really just a three-point shooter, though. He was just somebody that – he was a scorer. Yeah, he was inside out, but he could definitely hit – like, he could, he could hit threes, especially when he got high. Yeah. But he just wasn't, like, a high-volume shooter from the three-point line. But it would be, like, deep threes, like, or big threes near the end of the game, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you look at it later in his career, like, it's just the most he's ever ever like, attempted from threes in the season was when he was with Houston in OKC when they basically made him a stretch big. Yeah, every other year he was, like, he wasn't really shooting the three-ball like that because it was, like, what does he need to shoot the three ball when he can? Why does he need to shoot the three when you can't stop him in the mid? Even though analytics says that the three ball is better, and I'm all for analytics, that mid range is still deadly. Yeah, my low was a problem when it's problem. Yeah, he was. He was. Kobe said it himself that Melo was one of the most difficult people to guard. And so I don't know. They still, they still yeah, show flashes right now. Yeah, he still show you can still see it. You can still see it in his ISO game. He's not as athletic, so he has to be smarter with picking his spots. But you still see it a lot of skill and creating space. Minimal minimal dribbling, absolutely. Create space, jabs. He does a lot of uh, off ball movement. So, medal to the Lakers. (laughs) (laughs) Give Melo that ring, yeah. Give him that ring to go out on. Let him go out on a ring. I should have signed him this year and let him go out on a ring. But this last one, I don't agree with at all. Uh, it says, Amari, hey, I'm, I'm just, I, I get what they're going with with this. They said Amari Stoudemire is a top five offensive power forward in NBA history. And I get what they're trying to say, offensive power forward, but... I look at the top five power forwards in NBA history, and they can all score the basketball. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I can't even say top five, top five offensive power forward. Athletic or something. I don't know. And look, I, <laughs> I love him. Like, like a, a stretch. After Kobe, he was my next favorite player when I was like in middle school, high school. <clears throat> um, after he had the micro fracture surgery in his knee, a lot of people were doubting whether he would come back, be as explosive, and he was even better. Obviously, having Stephen Ash helps, but this guy was averaging 25 and 8. Um, but top five, nah. Because he didn't really have an arsenal of skill. Mm-hmm. It was all dunking. <laughs> he was... I mean, he had a little mid-range yeah, jumper. You know, just a slight mid-range work, jumper. Um, you know, drop steps, jabbing. He wasn't scoring face-up. He was getting oops, rolling. Blown by defenders off ball because he was just more athletic. He was basically a better version of Kenya Martin. Yeah, yeah. okay, I can see that. I can see that. So, and I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, I, I love Amari in Phoenix. And then his first year in New York, he was still killing. 
Yeah, his first year in New York, that was pretty that was pretty cool to watch too, because it was like he revitalized his career there. And that team was really fun to watch too. Yeah, he was still averaging twenty five even back then, but then he slowly, you know, fell off because the injuries started coming. Yeah. But that's the part of it where that knocks his offensive game because if he's really that great offensively, when his athleticism like goes away, where how yeah, wait, what are you doing? Like, how can you not score the ball anymore if all you did was rely on your athleticism? Look at somebody like Tim Duncan. Even when his athleticism went away and he got old, he was still an elite defender and elite on the low block because that's just something that you have. You either have it or you don't. And like I said, that's just too many, too many power forwards. I'm like, I'm like, you got Dirk out there, you got Tim Duncan, you got Kevin McHale. There's Charles Barkley. There's two Carl Malone. Like, there's too many. There's too many power forwards out there. Offensively, people even in his own era. Yeah. So, so that's what I'm saying. Like, it's just, I don't, I don't know. Because honestly, I'm still, even though Kevin Garnett is more of a defensive power forward, I'm still taking Kevin Garnett on the offense end than Amari Stoudemire because Kevin Garnett can pick and roll, but Kevin Garnett can also post up. And like, so there's just, there's just more to the game than just that seven seconds or less offense. Cause that, cause that seven seconds or, or less offense obviously inflates your numbers. As many people know that Dan, yeah, and when you play with Dan Tony, yeah, when you play with that Dan Tony system, your numbers get inflated and you see it with Harden. You saw it with Raymond Felton when he was out there with the Knicks because we're talking about Mario starting with the Knicks. You saw Raymond Felton. His assists went up to like eight, nine a game. Yeah. He, and he was scoring. Raymond Felton was looking really good as a player. Can remember that was when Raymond Felton was coming out saying he felt like he was the best point guard in the NBA? Because <laughs> that was a wild thing to say. But he was averaging like 18 and 8 or 18 and 9 or something like that. He's yeah, I feel like I'm the best point guard in the NBA. But it's like you're playing in that Dan Tony system. And your numbers just jumped up out of nowhere. And in the second you left the D'Antoni system, your numbers dropped again. Yeah. yeah. So it's just inflated numbers. But um yeah, that's about it. We're getting late in the podcast. So uh I'm gonna go ahead and close us out. Uh thank you guys for listening and everything. And as Kay always says. Always respect women, but most importantly, always remember to respect yourself. Love yourself, King. Go Lakers. (laughs)